Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. Hey, before we jump into the pre-med years today, I want to remind you that the pre-med playbook guide to the MCAT is now available Go check it out at Amazon.com. Search for the pre-med playbook guide to the MCAT or just search for guide to the MCAT and you'll find it there. This is the book to give you the ins and outs of the MCAT. If you're a freshman, sophomore, junior, before you've even thought about the MCAT, something that you're just learning about, this is the book for you to let you know what the MCAT is all about, how to best prepare for it, best resources, tips, everything that you need to know before you start studying for the MCAT. Again, that's the pre-med playbook guide to the MCAT. This is the pre-med year, session number 286. Hello and welcome to the three-time Academy Award-nominated podcast, The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to getting into and hopefully through medical school. Hey, welcome back to the pre-med years. Again, my name is Dr. Ryan Gray. If this is your first time here, I guess it's not a welcome back. It's a welcome. Thank you for being here. If you don't know who we are and what we're all about, we are here to encourage you, to motivate you, to inform you, to remove the veil of secrecy, what it seems like on this pre-med process. If you have been listening to us and you've gotten some value out of this podcast, I would love for you to share this podcast with your advisor, with your classmates, with your roommates, with your friends, your family, anybody. Share it on social media. Tag me. I'm at, at Medical School HQ everywhere. Just post it on Twitter. Post it on Instagram. Post a picture of you listening to this podcast. Like, Take, take a picture of your phone with your, oh, heck, how do you do that? Your phone is your camera. Darn it. Take a picture of doing something where you can see that you're listening to the pre-med years. Post it on social media. Tag me at Medical School HQ. I'd love to see those pictures. All right. So today we have an amazing guest, somebody who's going to help you figure out, hopefully, how to pay for medical school, how to pay back medical school loans, how to avoid common mistakes that students make and physicians make, actually, on the other side, what, what physician mistakes uh, are happening and, and so much more when it comes to money around the medical school process. Now, 
money in this country is a very taboo subject. Not a lot of people want to talk about it, and that hurts us as we go through this process because nobody wants to talk about money. Like, hey, how many or how much loans did you take out? Who did you get your loans from? What are the interest rates? How are you paying it back? What are the options? Nobody wants to talk about that stuff except only with their financial aid people. So the more that you're able to go out there and talk with other students about this and make it less taboo, the better it's going to be. But enough of me yapping. Today, I want to introduce you to Travis, who is a former bond trader turned helper of graduate students, specifically medical students, among others. He's married to a physician. He's helped students with over $250 million in student loans. $250 million in student loans. And he's given me his email address that I'll give you afterwards so you can reach out to him if you have any questions. And I'll give you his website later. So let's go ahead and jump in and say hi to Travis. Travis, welcome to the Pre-Med Years. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, great to be here. So you're one of our rare guests who's not a physician, not a pre-med student, not a medical student, but you have a passion for helping physicians in the financial world. How did you come across, number one, your passion for physicians, and number two, um, getting into the financial world and helping physicians with their loans? So my wife is actually a physician, and, and we met in her last year of fellowship in Philadelphia. And we were dating, started getting more serious, and had the conversation about money. And you know, I, I went straight out of undergrad into the finance world. I worked for Vanguard. I was a bond trader for their mutual funds. And so I didn't have the exposure to how big student debt is in the medical world. And then you know, talking with her, she's like, oh yeah, by the way, I have, you know, six figures of med school debt. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that's, uh, <laughs> that's something that I want to get rid of. Yeah, no, I mean, so if I'm going to stick around, like I want to have a plan to like, how do we get rid of this? And so I was thinking, you know, what a lot of people initially think when they hear student debt that, you know, okay, we just pay it back. Like it's pretty straightforward. Right. But then I learned that it's not quite that simple because you've got these plans you can pay based on your income. You can, you know, refinance your loans. You can go for public service loan forgiveness. So there's there's kind of a, a bunch of different options that you can take. And, you know, it kind of depends on the math of your situation, which one you would choose. And so I use those skills I got being a bond trader to make a model and just make an Excel spreadsheet and figure out, you know, what, what should we do with this? And so in, in kind of working with, with her loans and trying to work together to figure out what plan we wanted to take to pay off her student loans, she started telling what I was doing to her friends and saying that I should charge them to figure out a plan for them because nobody else was really doing it. And so that kind of snowballed and I shared the spreadsheet I built online and that got thousands of views and people were reaching out to me asking questions about it. And, uh, and so then, you know, it's <laughs> one thing led to another before, you know, it, I, you know, all these people are sending me emails. And so I just made a formal business out of it, just helping people figure out how to pay their six figures of student loan debt. And um, we've, you know, advised about a quarter billion in, in student loans. I like to joke with her. That's almost like real money. <laughs> that's, that is like real money. That's awesome. So when you look at a physician who's coming to you with six figures in student loan debt, do you have some sort of average for how long it's going to take them to comfortably pay back those loans? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I really see two different kind of approaches that physicians take. I mean, one of the 
approaches is this working for you know a not-for-profit hospital and going for a loan forgiveness approach. And, and then it actually doesn't make sense to make any payments in your student loans because you want to go for forgiveness. Uh, but for this person who is supposed to pay back the student debt, maybe they're working in private practice, they're trying to pay it down as quickly as possible, you know, the, the people making good incomes are paying it down maybe in like five to seven years for like the high income specialties. And then for more like modest income specialties, maybe like 10 to 15 years. Um, my wife's boss uh, still has student loans and we think, he, I think he's probably in his late forties. So, you know, I think that there's a lot of people out there that keep him around a lot longer than that. But, uh, but I would say that, you know, because of the higher than average incomes that people eventually get when they become attendings, you know, the, the repayment periods on average are still reasonable and, you know, and approachable. Let's talk about some of the mistakes maybe that, that new physicians make. You talk about higher than average incomes. Along with that typically comes higher than average lifestyles as well. When, when somebody comes to you and says, hey, here's all my debt, are you looking at their full picture of lifestyle as well to say, hey, maybe you should cut these other things out too? Oh yeah, so so I have a, a consult form that I make people fill out, and one of the two of the questions on there is, uh, what kind of car do you drive, and what's the car payment, <laughs> you know, and and uh, and what what kind of house do you live in, and you know, is it mortgaged or rented, and what's the the payment? And <laughs> it's funny because like from those two questions, you know, maybe you add on a third, how much credit card do you, debt do you have? From from those two questions, really two or three questions, I can tell almost exactly what somebody's outlook on lifestyle and money is, mm-hmm. and. Uh, it's amazing just, you know, I think, you know, physicians are incredibly low risk borrowers compared to, you know, someone maybe like myself as, who's a business person, right? Like if, 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 you know, if I'm a bank and I make a loan to you, Ryan, like I know I'm getting paid back, you know, you've got that MD behind your name or, you know, anybody who's, uh, who's, you know, got this steady clinical income. Uh, and so banks are always going to make terms very attractive to, to lend you money. And so that means, you know, if it's easy to do, the people are going to do it. And so, you know, it's amazing to me how many times I hear people say, but I have a 0% interest rate on my car loan. Mm -hmm. You know, I got a great deal. Or, you know, well, I I wanted to not throw money away on renting, you know, because I just, we decided to buy a house, you know, in our, you know, second year of residency, you know, with no money down with the physician loan or something like that. And it's, it's, it's really staggering and, and a little bit you know, of the conversation sometimes involves trying to at least get them to see another perspective. Uh, you know, I think that the, the adage with um, Jim Dolly of the White Coat Investor that you're supposed to live like a resident for at least a few years out of uh, training is, is super accurate and it's a big problem. Yeah, and I, I've had Jim on the podcast. That was a great, I like his philosophy of kind of like how a, a football coach has the, the pre-scripted plays to start a game you should pre-script out what you're doing with your initial attending paychecks so that you know where that money's going and it just doesn't go out the window on something stupid. Yeah, I mean, I mean, as long as you just buy a reasonable house and kind of even just think, pretend that you're a teacher, you know, pretend pretend that you're that resident income, that's about a, what a teacher's income is. So, you know, pretend that that's your income for the next, you know, four or five years and, you know, would a, would a teacher drive a, a brand new Mercedes or lease a Lexus? No, they wouldn't. You know, so drive a beat up Toyota Camry, at least until you have either your, you know, your net worth is uh, about, um, you know, at least zero. (laughs) And then maybe you can tighten, you know, loosen the purse strings a little bit. Yeah. 
Let's talk a little bit about some of the, the major change changes that are happening with public loan service forgiveness. And off of that topic, maybe go into a discussion for the non-traditional student listening to this who may have a, a ceiling on the back end of how many years they can work and, and really dive into some logistical questions of whether or not pursuing medicine is, is a financially smart thing to do. Yeah, I mean, I'll start with the non-traditional students. So I think that a lot of times people, maybe they're in their mid to late 30s or 40s, or even, I mean, even later than that, and, and they feel like they haven't gotten out of their career what they want. And, you know, if only I take a different path, and then they think about the fear of regret. And so they're like, well, I, I want to do this, and I want to go for it. And the the issue is, is, well, if you think that you're cool working for the rest of your life, or maybe until your 70s, then, then, then fine. But if the decision is maybe becoming a physician and working until your 70s or not becoming a physician and working until, you know, your early 60s, or your late 50s, you know, which one of those is, is more appealing? Um, for for non-traditional students, it's it's with, with that limited number of years that you're going to be able to practice, especially if you're like in your late 30s and beyond, you know, I just find it very difficult to, to make the decision uh, make sense with the math on paper financially. So that means it's a decision really of the heart and of emotions. And so just make sure that you're in a position financially where that's something that you can afford to do. You know, people make emotional decisions with their finances all the time. And sometimes those decisions are okay. You know, it's not all about money. You can't take it with you, right? So, I mean, I would just say for that non-traditional student, just make sure you have just an absolute passion for medicine and just you would have so much regret if you ever, you know, had an experience in life for the rest of your career where you didn't become a doctor. Um, for the people in general thinking about going to medical school, one thing that I would really keep very close tabs on is something called the Prosper Act. It's, it's being debated in Washington right now, and it's essentially a, a change in the student loan system is what they're debating. And obviously, you know, Republican Congress, Republican, Republican in the White House. So the policies that are being discussed right now involve curtailing a lot of these loan programs that have made people really not feel the full cost of medical school in a lot of cases. So the big changes would be repealing public service loan forgiveness for all students who start medical school after July 1st, 2019. So that wouldn't impact anybody, any listeners who are applying and accepted and going to medical school this fall, but it could potentially affect the folks that are going for the fall after that. And if you don't have access to that program, then you're not going to be able to work for 10 years at a not-for-profit hospital and wipe your hands clean of your loans. You're going to be responsible for the full thing. And, you know, if you're you know, thinking about going into primary care or, you know, one of the lower earning specialties, like that could be a major financial burden on you if you're going to medical school beyond that, you know, July 1st, 2019 date. So it's just something to be very cognizant of and really follow closely so you can make a fully informed decision about how you're going to finance med school. Because right now, you know, doctors have access to this public service loan forgiveness, and it's the most generous backdoor scholarship program in history. You know, you just work for 10 years paying based on your income at a not-for-profit hospital, and then at the end, the loans are forgiven and without, without tax consequences. So just be really aware of making a decision, you know, to take out a bunch of debt if that suddenly goes off the table. I know one of the things that students are, are concerned about and, and why we struggle 
in this country with primary care physicians is that salary difference between a specialist and a primary care physician. And you said if you if you go into this lower paid specialty, uh, it, like a primary care, family family medicine, internal medicine, pediatrics, and you don't have public loan service forgiveness, let's say they have three hundred thousand dollars in debt, but they're making one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. How does that? I mean, to me, that math still sounds great to say. Look, I'm still going to live like a resident. I'm going to live like I'm I'm making fifty thousand dollars. I'll have a hundred thousand dollars. I mean, obviously taxes are aren't factored into that, but I'll I'll make a hundred thousand dollars, and that will all go back to loans. So in my mind, just thinking about it from from a thirty thousand foot view, it still sounds like it's it's a great career, even if you're going into primary care. What am I missing there? Where do where do people go wrong when they they're thinking like that? Well. One question I'd have is, was what is what is your opportunity cost? So, you know, you're going to commit to this long period of training and you're going to be not making money for four years and then you're going to be taking on a resident salary for another three or whatever. So if your alternative to being a physician, just, you know, just pure finances, right? Like not actually like what you're calling, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, if your alternative is going to work uh, at, you know, as a financial analyst making 90K a year and you enjoy that job and you think it's fun and you like the lifestyle, like comparing that or comparing, you know, an engineer's job or something like that to being a primary care physician and taking on the big debt, you know, just from a, uh, if you just, you know, pretend that you invested money along the way while you were working, you know, th- that it takes a long time for the break even math to, to make the, the physician job win, you know, with, with a bunch of debt, uh, just because of, you know, giving up the salary that you could have been making and taking on the big debt, um, I mean, yeah, the, the finances could work with 300K and 150K of income. You know, the, the thing that, that I would ask is what's the most optimal way to pay it back? You know, you could pay the 300K back, uh, you know, living like a resident, being extremely frugal, you know, getting really motivated with these debt payoff programs. But what's the right thing to do, you know, based off of your lifestyle and the math? So I, I like to to joke about how people are spending way too much money on cars and, and how, you know, housing and everything. But I've run into a lot of cases with, especially the lower paying specialties, where people will have that 300 to 400K in medical school debt, and maybe they're working in a private sector job, and they're, 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 you know, they've kind of hit that income level they feel like they're going to be at for a while, or at least inflation adjusted, but they want to take time off to have kids, or they want to work fewer hours to have a more flexible lifestyle, or whatever the case may be. Maybe they live in a high cost of living area where their family lives, and they don't want to leave that area. So a lot of times you can make the cost in today's dollars of like pay as you earn for 20 years, even though you have to pay a tax bomb at the end of it, make more sense than actually paying the debt off just from a pure numbers perspective. Yeah. And and they'll only know all of that information if they are are good with finances themselves or go and talk to somebody like you. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you can, I think, you know, if if you take out direct federal loans, and this this is a great question to ask your financial aid person before you go to the first uh, day of class and get the big bill. You know, are my loans for the first semester going to be on the federal direct program? If the answer to that is yes, then from everything that the government's saying, you're going to be locked in to being allowed to borrow on that program with all the sweet repayment programs and all the great forgiveness stuff, and you're going to get to keep it for the duration of your medical school career. But if you go to school and you're given what's called a federal one loan, 
or whatever they end up coming up with, it's not a direct loan. If you're given anything else besides a direct loan on your first day of class, then that's when you really got to run the numbers and ex- think about how much you're going to have and per- know that you have to pay all that back. And so, you know, for some of the higher cost private schools out there where you're going to come out with 400 grand, well, if, if your choices are that, you know, or not being a doctor, maybe you look into other, other possibilities, right? Like the military, or you look at, um, you know, some sort of other way to do a, you know, program that to get some assistance. I, and I think Ryan, you went down that path, right? With the military. Yeah, it was HPSP. And then there's like national health service Corps as well is another popular program. Right. So, you know, just be aware of your options. I think one of the difficult things with medicine is that the loan programs are so dispersed. There's no centralized source where people can really, you know, get access to everything. Like you have the, the HPSP, the NHSC and the um, I think there's some program with the NIH that mm-hmm. <laughs> I, re- I recently found out about that you can, you know, get assistance from them if you're doing research at a, at a hospital and you get approved for it. Yep. So there's all these different programs and it's just, uh, it's very difficult to navigate. Yeah. So let's talk about that financing of medical school for, for the pre-med student listening to this. Maybe they have undergrad debt. Maybe they don't. You you mentioned when you before you start med school, talk to your financial aid person at the med school and determine what kind of loans there are. How how is a student supposed to figure all of that stuff out when really all they care about is I got into med school, I'm going to start med school, I'm going to be a doctor. What what do they need to be thinking about as far as where loans are coming from and where they're getting their money? Yeah, so the the Stafford loans, the unsubsidized Stafford loans, those are the loans that you want to max out and take. So Stafford loans, about a 6% interest rate right now. The origination fee is about 1%. That's pretty pretty good, especially considering you've got all those benefits with the federal loan programs. So that's about 40000 a year that you can take out. So that's about 20000 each semester. So most people will need more than that. And so what I would suggest is think about how do you come up with the answer to the question of where do I get that more than that money. So if I need more than $20,000 in loans a semester, where's that going to come from? If you are planning on having an academic medical career and you like the idea of working at hospitals and you don't like the idea of being an entrepreneur, you don't like the idea of working in a private practice setting, uh, then then you want to make sure all of your debt is with the federal government. You actually don't want to take out any loans that are not direct loans because those direct loans are the only loans that have access to the PSLF program. Now, you can consolidate some of that federal debt that's not, but but the, as a general rule. So like try to make sure it's all direct, direct federal loans, which means 40K a year of unsubsidized Stafford, and everything above that is going to be on the Grad Plus program. Now, if you're planning on going to private practice, like let's say you were, have, I'm just going to throw a random example. Let's say your dad's a physician, owns private practice, you know, his dream is to bring you on as one of the physicians in the practice, so you know that you're going to go to, you know, work in the private sector. You know you're not going to work at a hospital. So if that's your plan, then the Grad Plus program, that that you know everything you need above forty thousand a year, um, that is at a seven percent interest rate instead of a six percent. And on top of that, the origination fee, which just means like the amount of money they charge you up front that they bake into the loan, is about four and a quarter percent, give Ooh. or take. Ouch. Yeah, yeah. So imagine four point two. It's actually four point two seven percent. And, you know, that's up front. So tack that onto the loan balance just for the privilege of, you know, talking to us. And then on top of that, you're having 7% interest and that's accruing throughout grad school or throughout med school. 
So if you have any, if you know you're going to go in that private sector world that you're not going to get any loan forgiveness, then try to find a way that you can cover that everything you need above 40K besides the Grad Plus program. So maybe that means borrowing from family. Maybe that means taking out private loans from a bank or credit union. Uh, maybe, maybe you know, there's different sources that, that you could get it from. Uh, but but that's a common mistake that I see people make that eventually their plan is to refinance the debt. Well, it's like if you could avoid taking out that really expensive debt, then maybe you have some parents that might co-sign for you on some private loans. If that's your plan is to do private practice, then that can save you thousands and thousands of dollars, you know, because the accrued interest really, really builds up. Private loans from everybody I've talked to seem to be the, the devil when it comes to financing medical school because they're they're less flexible as far as um, putting your your payments on on pause and stuff during residency and other other things. What what is your outlook with private loans? So you know that's why I wanted to throw in that caveat that you should only do that if you're hundred percent certain you're going to go into private practice. Because if there's any chance at all that you're going to want to go down the not for profit road with the hospital system employment then taking out private loans is a disaster. It's awful. It's terrible. You know, so I want to make that very clear. But you know, if that's not you, if you are going to go the private route, like the reason that you would consider private loans, like first off, like the Stafford loans, you know, you would want to definitely have those because the loan terms of six percent is approximately maybe what you would get in the private loan system anyway. So like you might as well max those out. And you also have those protections on those uh, Stafford loans. Uh, so, so from my perspective, like if it ever does make sense to take out private loans, you would never want to take out the full cost of med school and private debt. You'd want to exhaust the Stafford resources first. But the, the issue with the private debt is the payments during residency or fellowship could be potentially troublesome. And the number of options out there these days with uh, Laurel Road, SoFi, Splash, I think Link Capital refinances residents, like there's a bunch of them. That will refinance residents' private student loans to, you know, nominal payments during their training, during the really the duration of their training. So, you know, the payments are not an issue um, because they'll cap them. They'll they'll keep them very low during training for the private debt. And then when you come out, you know, you can refinance the whole thing or part of it or whatever. And you know, this is only a strategy. I'm going to be honest. That might save you like twenty thousand dollars in interest perhaps maybe 10, 10 to 10 to 40 if I wanted to put a really wide range on it. Uh, that's if you go down the private practice road, right? That's the reward. If you go down the not-for-profit road and you had private debt and you took out private loans instead, then you know it could cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars to take out private student loans instead of federal student loans. Mm -hmm. So that's why you should, you know, you kind of weigh the risk reward, weigh your future career goals and just really think like, is the way that I'm taking my student loans out like reflecting how I think my future looks. And I think a lot of people just don't think about that and they just go to the financial aid office and just say, hey, I need money for school, sign me up for whatever. And they give them, you know, what they're able to give them, which is, you know, typically all federal loans. Yeah. From working with physicians on the, the backside of their training and the majority of students listening to this are, are pre-training, what, what are some of the tips that you can give the students listening to this to, to prevent the mistakes that you're seeing on, on the other side? <laughs> this is a, a good one. Um, 
you know, be very cautious with credit card debt during training, um, during during medical school in general. The the student debt is better to have than credit card debt um, for a host of reasons. Credit score, just how fast it can balloon on you, how big of an obstacle it is in your life. Um, I, I would say resist the urge to equalize your consumption patterns with what you expect they're going to be as an attending. So I think a lot of people... <laughs> You know, I like actually had some friends that were in med school in Philadelphia, and it's like they, you know, they, if you saw them, it's like they're already attending physicians, <laughs> you know, like they're living in super fancy apartments and driving really nice cars and all of it's going on the student loan credit card. And, uh, and it's just, wow, you know, you'd think like, well, you know, just because you're in medical school, even though you've accomplished a ton to get there, you know, it doesn't mean that you should... <laughs> live life with abandon, reckless abandon, and just say, oh, I'm going to be rich one day, you know? Um, I would say that just, you know, if you're listening to this podcast already, you're way ahead of the curve, so be proud of yourself and know that you're going to be in a better place than, you know, a lot of the people that you're, frankly, competing with and going to, to med school with. So maybe consider helping some friends out uh, try to steer them towards resources like this, these and others that can help you make good money decisions. And I would say try to get uh, you know, have like five to ten thousand dollars in the bank. I think even during training, during medical school, even while borrowing a ton of money to to pay for everything, because I think you always want to have enough of a cushion financially where you can have any kind of you know mid sized life crisis happen to you and not have to go you know tap a bunch of of loans to to, to handle it. Um, so I think the main thing though, is to probably have the, have the money socked away, like the 5,000 bucks. I think that's the biggest mm-hmm. thing. I think students will go to their financial aid office and say, what's, what's the maximum I can take out? And they'll say, great, give me that. And I, yeah. I think what you're saying is take the minimum amount and make sure you have some money to cover some other expenses without needing to take out more student loans. Yeah. You can always ask for more. Mm-hmm. So, if, you know, a lot of people don't know that, like they think that they have to go take out the maximum and just, you know, if they, if they don't end up needing it, they can just leave it in their bank account. You know, <laughs> that's, that's not, that's not a good idea. Um, you know, what you can do instead is, you know, take out all everything that you need to pay for you know, tuition and all the costs associated with going to school. And then if you need more, like if you're short, you know, you can actually do a request for funds from your financial, financial aid office and they'll give it to you, you know, sometime during the semester. Uh, and a lot of times, you know, the effect from accruing interest alone on the money that you took out earlier rather than later can make a big difference, uh, especially if you're paying the loans back. Now, you know, this PSLF program has created a little bit of warped incentives where people feel like they can just take out the max and they're not going to have to pay it back. And they might end up being right. But, you know, it's kind of like I, I don't I really don't advocate that you kind of live life uh, gambling to that level. Uh, I, I personally wouldn't do it. Maybe maybe some people feel fine with it, but you know the the general rules of keep your debt as low as possible still ring true. Is there anything that we haven't covered today that you think a a budding future physician needs to know? I would encourage them to go to the lowest cost school that they get into. That's that's a reasonable school. I think that it's easy to see a name that seems very prestigious or that sounds very prestigious. And, you know, I would just encourage the person, like, say you've got an acceptance to, you know, University of Georgia, but you've got another acceptance to a high-cost private school, Um, maybe like University of New England or something like that. I'm just trying to come up with a random name there. (laughs) Um, 
but uh, you know, you could you know pick pick any large you know high cost private school in a big metro area, right? Um, and compare those costs and think like, do you want to have more options in your life or fewer options? Because regardless of what happens to the future of loan forgiveness, I know for sure that the person with 200k in medical school debt has more options in life than the person that has 400k. Yeah, you know. And so every medical school places people into prestigious specialties. You know, I mean, the, the idea that you're going to be set back way far back in your life and career by going to a lower ranked medical school, you know, I think is is not something that you should really worry about too much. So, you know, to the extent that you have options, if you do get into multiple places, go into the expected cost of attendance on the financial aid uh, website on the each school's website and look for the, uh, you know, whatever the estimated cost of attendance is for the four years, and then multiply it by 1.25. So multiply it, basically you're growing that number by 25%, and that's what approximately I think you'll leave with in student debt if you borrow the full amount. And so compare that number at each place, and then I would say, in my opinion, heavily weight the decision as to which one gives the most attractive four-year cost. All right, so there you have it. Again, that was Travis. All the ins and outs of the medical school loans and payback and options and mistakes and so much more. If you have a question you would love to ask Travis, you can email him, travis at studentloanplanner.com, his website. If you haven't guessed by now, studentloanplanner.com. If you go there, you can find everything, hopefully, that you need. If not, reach out to him, ask him a question. In the show notes, I'm going to give you a link to the free student loan calculator that Travis has on his site that will hopefully be helpful for you as you're trying to figure out all of the loans in this whole process. Again, that's studentloanplanner.com. Again, the show notes for this, because it's episode 286, is that the show notes are at medicalschoolhq.net slash 286. That's where the link to the student loan calculator will be and other appropriate links. Hope this was helpful for you. Don't forget to join us next time at medicalschoolhq.net in the pre-med years. And one last pitch for the pre-med playbook guide to the MCAT. Go check it out. If you are past the MCAT, go check out the pre-med playbook guide to the medical school interview, the best medical school interview book out there by far, at least in my mind. (laughs) And Amazon ratings too. But anyway, I, I digress. I hope you have a great week. I'll see you next time here at the pre-med years. 